Hey there, folks, and welcome to Bread and Poetry, a podcast about poetry and bread for everyone. I'm your host, Dean Ali Antigua, Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Poet Laureate of Your Hearts. On this podcast, we talk to the people in our community, the poets and the non-poets alike, about poetry and what it means to them. In the words of Roque Dalton, I believe the world is beautiful and that poetry, like bread, is for everyone. So this is part two of my conversation with Sarah Denez Akant and Adrian Rafel. If you have not listened to part one, please do so before listening to this one if you can. And as mentioned in the last episode, I was very sick when I recorded. I thought I had a cold, but I actually had strep throat. And luckily this was a remote interview, so no one else was infected. But I do apologize for the raspiness that is this interview. But anyways, here goes nothing. All right, so we're back with Sarah and Adrian. Sarah, you brought one of Adrian's poems to share with us. Anything we should know about it before you read it? Yes. Um, let's see. The poem is from our books. <laughs> from our books. The poem is from Our Dark Academia. Um, you might think think when you like are looking inside the book that the poem appears in the middle but it's actually more towards the end of like the poem section because this amazing book has so many other sections like a entire um made up wikipedia article about our dark academia um and what that is at the end but also doll clothing and parts and descriptions of the different characters, etc. So this poem in the poem section is like three quarters of the way through. I've had the pleasure of hearing Adrian read it a number of times, but it's called Trebek number five. And I have to say, I never knew what Trebek was. <laughs> and so I basically thought it was some... French term, maybe a classical <laughs> music uh, designation, like the Ginopodi or something, uh, you know, that the, they have the numbers like from the classical music composers. Um, so I, I always thought it was something very esoteric and academic and that I couldn't access. <laughs> so finally I Googled it. <laughs> um, and then it made sense. It made more sense that the way Adrian introduces this poem in readings is that her brother was a contestant and winner, I believe, on yeah. Jeopardy, the Jeopardy, uh, <laughs> the Jeopardy talk show, uh, game show. <laughs> and Alex Trebek is, which like I, now I know is a name that like exists in the world, um, or like, I've always known that that's a name that exists in the world, but I hadn't, I didn't connect it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so Alex Trebek, number five, but you know, the number five is there to make me do whatever I'm going to do with um, that chunk of language. So is there anything else that we need to know? I think that's, I think that sort of covers it. Okay. Well, whenever you're ready, you can read it to us. Trebek number five. What is among us? What is contact high? What is secondhand smoke? What is a momofuku? Who is a Berenstain? What is East Berlin? What is Berlin, New Hampshire? What is Beetlejuice? What is Scab? What was the election of 1800? Is Mickey Mouse a dog or a cat? What is Nickelodeon? What was a dime? What is a quarter tone? What is F flat? What is gluten? What is chaff? What is sunny delight? Who are sopranos? 
What is ivory? What is natural by nature? Who is Tennyson? What is the book of Job? What is Job? What is KitchenAid? What is Mother's Little Helper? What is the Mekong? Who is King Kong? Who is a mineral? What is not mine is mine. What is a mimeograph? What is a mom? Who among us has one? Hmm. Thank you so much for reading that. Basically, for those who don't know the the setup of Jeopardy or the way that the questions or the answers are given are in questions, which I remember as a kid, I that always stumped me. I didn't quite understand why the answers were then questions. Uh, but I love how Adrian sets that up for us in this poem. And it it feels like we're on the game show and we're just hearing the those answers and not necessarily hearing the, the the facts or the clues that are given in order to get those answers. And I love the connections and associations that that she makes. I'm curious, Sarah, why did you choose this particular poem? What was it about this poem that really drew you in? I was really drawn to this poem because of it, the way that it revolves around questions and the way that it has this voice that is asking the questions that feels like a collapse of a lot of voices in the book. I was talking about where the poem comes in the order of the poems in the book, because it's important to me uh, that we have so many characters and voices and embodiments in and and they're much more clear and direct. Like there's Chrissy from Peloton. There's the Felix by proxy guy, you know, the ginger nut who's in a choir in 17. <laughs> um, and so there's all of these, these people and, and, and voices and characters that are much more human and um, slippery. But here I feel like we have this cold, isolated behind a screen, right? Maybe it's the Jeopardy screen. Maybe it's that strange um, confluence of question and answer that uh, is happening that I I love how you spoke to that. It makes sense in some way, but it also really doesn't um, to say what is as an answer. So I'm really kind of obsessed with the like relationship between questions and poetry or like questions and poems and also have always been obsessed with repetition and like structures of repetition and the way that voices get embodied on the page. So for this voice, I really feel like the movements between the what and the who and the parataxis of the lines where sometimes one line does feel connected or one question or answer does feel connected to the next, but there's a, there's a mind and a brain that is asking these questions that feels removed and distanced from maybe even like a human intelligence. But it's also funny that I said, I don't know who Alex Trebek is because, um, you know, this, this poem really speaks to me personally because I often am the person in the room that's kind of like, what is a momofuku, you know, in my, in my head. <laughs> and, and sometimes I say it out loud too, because I don't know that that's an embarrassment or like that, that's a question that I, that uh, other people would know how to answer. I'm just like, I, as I get older, even I'm saying it more like, what is that? So this voice captures both an experience that I have, and I'm sure others um, in their own contexts or ways have, but also feels like a kind of AI or a glitchy um, voice of isolation that in this book is really important because there's a lot of experiences of like the body and distancing the self from the body, but also reaching out and like wanting to be intimate and like get rid of that flatness. And like, here we have a voice that's like, so into the exposure of itself um, without necessarily being aware of what that 
exposure is. <laughs> so, and none of these, like I actually, for, for the most part, I did know what all of these are, which is amazing um, because I never know, <laughs> except for Trebek, except for the title, except for the whole thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like the container, but then also like at the end of the poem, um, I mean, I love all the slips, you know, East Berlin, Berlin, New Hampshire, um, moving from like, Ivory, which in the context of the book also I'm reading as like an ivory tower or like a kind of whiteness or ivory, like kind of shiny thing that feels constructed and fantastical. And then what is natural by nature, which is not capitalized, um, but is clearly a phrase that has been heard in a cultural reference point um, that the voice is like made outside of because we it clearly doesn't know like about capitalizations necessarily. Um, like the Sopranos are not, it's not capitalized. What is a soprano? A Sopranos. Um, yeah. So basically at the end of the poem, these slips become more elliptical or more variable. And we slip into this, what is a mom who among us has one? And I think that really captures like a lot about the, the poem that is important. Yeah, I was really interested in the fact that these are questions, but no question marks are used. The, all of them end in periods, which obviously listeners do not know that, but I'm letting you know right now um, that the questions end with periods and they don't end with question marks themselves, which I thought was a very interesting choice. I mean, I think like, aesthetically like to the eye I like the idea of a period better than a question mark just I don't know why especially if it's going to be like repeated over and over and over again um sometimes like question marks can get a little busy on the page but I I love that these questions are not given to the reader as questions they're given as as statements uh and I was really interested in that kind of texture that that sets up for us and how a poem about connections or the connections that we're seeing in the poem ultimately is a poem about loss of connections, loss in general or or loneliness, you know, with the last line, like, what is a mom? Who among us has one? And I just felt like a overwhelming loneliness reading that line, and especially with the repetition of the O sounds really like, you know, drives that that forward and, and and sets kind of like the sonic tone for that that distance and and disconnection and loss. I was wondering if that's something that like you were also seeing, um, Sarah. Incredibly, yeah. The the isolation of the voice or the disconnection, I think that's a good word, because also when we think about these synapses in the poem, like the way that they do and don't connect to a reader who's encountering and uh, themselves, <laughs> like the, the, the spaces between the questions slash answers that never have a voice that comes in and answers or questions. It's always feels like this one-sided, it feels like a sentient being that I also relate to, so is human. And the isolation and the sadness of that and not being able to have a response, but continuing to go with these connected, disconnected lines and questions and continuing on until you reach this point with that utterance, you know, what is a mom who among us has one? The poem has to, in a way, end there because now we've really seen this exposure of so much vulnerability, it really slips into that uncanny space of the human that that is having an emotional experience and the robot that kind of can't have it and is still asking the questions. Yeah, for me, what it does is that's a real question. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a real question. It's a real question in the book, too. Mm, mm, mm. This seems like really 
you know, appropriate poem or poem that makes sense to have written during the pandemic, right? It That's when you wrote it, Adrian, was during the pandemic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, this like this loss, this disconnection, this robotic type of responses. And I, I feel like that's kind of what happened to a lot of us during the pandemic. Everything was kind of like robotronic, like everything, like even the way technology infiltrated our lives in a way that it never had before. It was like Zoom, 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 everywhere, everywhere. Like, do you want a Zoom happy hour? Do you want a Zoom catch-up session? Let's get all of the you know, people from our cohort to do a Zoom. Like it's just Zoom, Zoom, Zoom everywhere. And I mean, I loved, I loved Zoom because it was a, a great way for people to be connected. But at the same time, it was such a strange, disconnected way to connect, if that makes any sense at all. Yes. Um, because there is this there is this layer. There is literally a screen in front of us. Um, and even now, listeners, I'm doing this podcast episode remotely. I am staring at Adrian and Sarah through a screen. So we're this is so meta. <laughs> it's so meta. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Before I get carried away with all of the things that could be said about this poem, Adrian, do you want to clue us in a little bit on like what it was like writing this poem? I feel like you guys have, it's really a pleasure for me to, well, first of all, to hear Sarah read the poem because I I really love hearing it in Sarah's voice. I've like heard her read poems from her book so much, but like, and she's heard me read this, but she reads it, I would say more deliberately than I do where like, and maybe that's like, so it was a real pleasure for me to kind of hear each answer in the form of a question deliberately to, because I did write them as both answers and questions, right? Like that and, mm. and as neither and as both. And like, they are definitely sentences and I heard them as sentences in the reading of it. And I also think that, yeah, Trebek number five is, it's yeah, it is a joke on classical composers and Chanel number five, and also like what is, also like what is a s- smell in the world of screens too? Like what is, like losing smell also like I mean that was an early COVID thing, but also it was like a it's a bodily function that's totally lost on a screen, which like doesn't really need to be in the poem, but it's something I was like also thinking about, I think in terms of like the flattening effect, the two dimensional thing that feels very present. Basically you guys captured the intent of the poem better than I can describe it myself. I'll go back to the braiding idea. The braiding of voices is both like a total sort of Greek chorus cacophony of voices and also one flat tone here, which I I was hoping to kind of get at of like, it's there, it's sort of all voices and no voice in this Mm. poem. And it's also these kind of facts that are divorced from characters, but also are kind of like the only things you can grab onto. And so, yeah, I, I, I think also in the process of it, I can't really remember, but I'll make, I'll make up, the pro- that the process of getting to the like what is a mom who among us has one I I did do a little bit of the kind of automatic writing thing kind of writing through a bunch of different kind of who who what what and then like getting getting myself to a mom which is kind of also just a like the word who or the word wow kind of like turned upside down and then and then the who among us has one. I think once I'd kind of broken out of the like answer in the form of a question to something that is actually just a question in the form of a question, that was where like I realized, yeah, the automatic voice had both like broken, but broken in a like much more productive sense. Like like I'd broken the robot because the robot had like cracked itself. Broken the robot. Because the robot had cracked itself. That's that's beautiful. Like that's that's a line in your next poem. 
Adrian, you wrote one of Sarah's poems. Anything we need to know before you read? So this poem comes sort of towards the middle, two-thirds of the way through hyperphantasia. And it's in a section called The Women Haunt Themselves in the book. Um, And one thing to know about the poems in the book is that there are many poems with titles in the book, but when Sarah reads them out loud, often she doesn't perform the titles because in this sort of spirit of project poetry, the poems are both discrete and kind of speak to each other and across each other and through each other and braid through. So it was actually a little tricky for me to pick one poem because the poems are so hyper fantastically layered. But yeah, I think one thing that I really do kind of love about this poem, and I'll talk about it after I read it, but many voices appear throughout this poem and not necessarily kind of signaled in traditional dialogue markers or with hyphens or with italics, but you know that they're shifting in who they are because of the way that they appear in the poem. It's not like a marked thing, but it's just like you can hear the voices change and shift in a way and 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 go in and out of each other. There's also like on the page, there's a little symbol in kind of the middle of the poem that kind of like visually breaks the poem. And so I'm not going to read it. I'm just, I'll just like pause for a moment there. That sounds good. So whenever you're ready, you can read it to us. And when it rained, the dog began to see a different dog. A tiny slice of new fur danced in our TV, but it was her. Dead weight for a good girl is like, oh yes, that's my girl. Or is it? Hello, Sarah. Is that you? Hi, boo-boos. Tonight will be a clammy cream with fish eggs thrown on top. Grinch spinach and a fat-free Turkish yogurt soup. One small breast becomes a new dip for the table. All movies are disgusting, did you know? I am getting up for bed, for they will not respect my genius. I know that time is made of entropy, or whatever, the reverse. I know the molecules of family might regather and become themselves inside a different corner of the ceiling. Gravity is lies. If we move the paws of doggy, then what will happen to the rays of sun in California? The yolk drips down from mouth to mouth. And now her credit sequence runs. Yam intestines, hungry nipples, saliva nesting, noodle ghost. What they refuse to understand is that none of this is information. No, that is simply not what information means. Attic mom with canned tomatoes and a set of baby teeth. The puppy will become herself again behind the ruins. Thank you so much. I'm curious, Adrian, why did you choose this poem? I love hearing Sarah read this poem out loud because <laughs> the stanza where it's the mother voice or the family voice or the other voice with the clammy cream with fish eggs thrown on top, crunched <laughs> spinach, and a fat-free Turkish yogurt stupid like I can just hear the moms I can hear this like so one thing I really really like that strikes me with this uh, this poem in particular and across Sarah's work is this um what I've talked about with Sarah and her friend Margaret is kind of like twin language and I think that everyone has a sort of twin language that exists in your family or your chosen family or friends or something like that, where it's this, um, both, both specific words and syntax that you understand each other because you're, you kind of made up this language with and around each other. And it's so densely connected and it's kind of 
I mean, there are so many examples of the way that this works. It's, um, I think in this poem, it's like clammy cream with fish eggs thrown on top, Grinch spinach and a fat-free Turkish yogurt soup is really indicative of like, that all sounds really disgusting and like kind of nonsensical. And yet I know exactly in a kind of family context what that might mean and feel like, but like, so I, I think it's doing this kind of doubling of, I can feel exactly that it's this private family language. I know what that is. I know that feeling. I have this kind of language with my brother or language with my friend or language that that is a way of connecting that like you can't, it's not like, um, it's not exactly like one-to-one translatable. It's more like I know it what it, when I hear it or I know it when I see it. And and that, like, I know exactly what this is, but also like that also is so sort of like completely outside of it. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think it's like what Robert Frost calls like the sound of the sentence. Like I feel, I feel the feeling of it. And that is something that for me has been really important in to me about Sarah's poetry in this book and, but all throughout the poetry that like I've been hearing Sarah write and read for years and years is, is, and I think also connects to what you're saying about Kathy Park Hong's world building and use of language, but you're the use of language that um, is like you feel the feeling of it, you know intuitively in yourself what this means, and maybe you can't kind of translate and explain it. And maybe you should, and maybe you shouldn't. And I think that a lot of that kind of like um, complicatedness is is there in this poem. Yeah, I I can definitely see what you're saying, and um, I love the line what they refuse to understand is that none of this is information. No, that is simply not what information means. And like, I'm seeing how like both of y'all's poems like really connect. Like I, I think that both of these poems, there's a lot of information that's given or images and things that again, like you were saying, could be translatable. They translate into a feeling but at the same time, like it doesn't really necessarily translate into something that we can fully explain with our words, if that if that makes sense. And I'm I'm thinking about just in a world where we are constantly being bombarded with information and and images and you know this TikTok video and that you know recipe. Um, and this outfit of the day video, just like all of these things, like I'm thinking about like, how is all of this supposed to be stored in our minds and bodies? And it, the things that like, it is being stored somehow we're taking it in, but almost like not consciously, um, or there's a subconscious that is happening that is taking all of this in and it's, and it's being stored in a way that um, it kind of just emerges when it wants to. Um, and I, I love this idea of, of twin language. Like we just store that in our bodies and in our minds, especially with, you know, family and chosen family. Like I don't need to say like, oh yeah, that reference I just made was from School of Rock. I don't need to say that. You know, I can be like, all I need is minds for molding. And my brother would be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so I I love how it's just the feeling is what we are left with. The information is yeah. whatever. Um, and I think you actually say whatever in this poem. Um, yeah, entropy or whatever. I know that time <laughs> is made of entropy or whatever. The reverse. <laughs> I, I love how just like flippant that is. It's like, mm, yeah, whatever, entropy, whatever. <laughs> I also like really love the kind of, um, I, I, what you're saying, do you know about the like, none of this information is so great and the entropy or whatever, the reverse and that the reverse and entropy are the same thing. <laughs> and 
And I also really love the butterfly, the like extreme, the butterfly effect of this poem and that extreme, like literalization of this like butterfly effect of like, if we move the paws of a dog, then what happens to the rays of sun in California? And I think there's something really like in this sort of, um, the science fiction that is truer than reality that I feel like is so throughout hyperfantasia. There's this like extreme outsized reaction of like, okay, I am so the center of everything in the world that if I move my dog's paws, then there are rays of sun in California that are shifting and changing and there are like fires in California burning. But I think there's actually something really deeply serious to that too. It's both like this absolutely incredible, like insanity of this tiny thing that I do. It affects this like huge thing over here, but also it feels so deeply true, especially like in a moment, in a world of like screens and disconnect too, that like suddenly like, I don't know. It's like every, every small thing that I do, like, I don't know. It both is both like this totally outsized, like huge narcissistic centering, but it's also the total inverse of it too. It's this incredible smallness of like everything I do radiates outward. And I'm so anxious that like that it affects everything, but it also is like the total opposite of like nothing I do matters. Who am mm. I? What is it? Wow, what is it? Like I don't have any information. There's no information. None of this is information. <laughs> and so I I get that, especially I think in the second half of this poem too. I do love that, like you called it an insanity of something, but I was thinking like an insanity of like cause and effect. Like we think that, yeah, you know, if we do this one thing that we're gonna affect this thing that's on the other side of the country. And you are right, like we we have a a reach and a span of of affecting things that we have no idea about even for instance this podcast for like when i went to awp which is the writers conference that happens every year um listeners who aren't aware of what awp is but people came up to me and were like oh i love your podcast i was like who are you and like who is listening to this podcast like that's a question that I want to ask in Trebek number five, who is listening <laughs> to this podcast? And it was someone from Colorado. And I'm sad that I forget that person's name, but I am calling you out right now. Lovely person from Colorado who came up to me at AWP and said that they listened to my podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Um, yeah, like that, I don't know who I'm affecting in any way. I have no idea. And y'all's books they end up in the hands of so many people. Like, and you don't know all of those people. What what effect are we having in a way that is completely out of our control? Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking about that question a lot. Like it is out of our control. We can control the container, but we can't control what people do with it. Yeah, that yeah. that's my TED talk. <laughs> That's really beautiful. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about writing the poem. What was that like for you? The the actual writing of the poem, it did happen pretty quickly. Uh, I was writing um, down, I was writing a poem every day at that time. During the pandemic, a lot of my, most of my family, my nuclear family lived together, but I didn't live with them. Um, my partner and I got COVID very early on, which is how I knew about the sparkling feeling. <laughs> um, and uh, they basically said, you can't see us because you had COVID, even though we had, we only knew we had COVID because we had the antibodies. But at that time, still, um, everyone was afraid of just the fact that we had it. Um, so, but eventually I did go and I, I s spent the night and there was this dinner table dinner conversation uh, that actually did have to do with science um, and things like gravity and entropy and um, this phenomenon that my dad has been very interested in called spooky action at a distance, um, which when we're talking about having that really self-centered effect, um, I love thinking about this and maybe like a lot of the poems or maybe a lot of poems in general as um, kind of like 
interrogations of self-centeredness. <laughs> like this poem for sure um, is a uh, group of voices that kind of like can't escape their um, self-centered uh, like thinking and, and panic and um, desires. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I wrote down pretty much like what was said at dinner um, and made a poem out of it and sort of built a world around that that is obviously divorced from um, real life. But what I end up seeing is, uh, well, I also like that you all were were paused on moving the paws of doggy and the rays of sun in California, because I've always wondered what the role of the dog really is in this poem. <laughs> um, because the dog is sort of this very present and sort of like family creature, right? But um, doesn't speak uh, and doesn't have a role except for um, becoming a reflection of whatever these self-absorbed people are uh, imagining. It's just, it's, it's a projection, right? Um, so the dog is a sort of projection of self. But the interesting thing, yeah, I, d- I do think like reading... Adrian's poem and talking about Adrian's poem and then looking at this one and thinking about that question of connection and disconnection and the way that voices speak to or past or alone, even if they're together. And like that idea of like, are we having a conversation? Is the twin language working? And it's great that I think that, you know, there there are people who become like family and Adrian is certainly one of them and also you know even that first day that we met in Iowa is like yeah we're already sisters (laughs) by 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 both refusing to connect um we knew (laughs) that we were (laughs) that we would be sisters in this um journey uh so yeah that there's like a I, I think people talk right in relationships about a way that you can feel very isolated and alone even though you're together right um, and I think there's there's definitely some of that here, but it's it's interspersed with that twin language and connection that um, maybe hopefully a lot of people will hear and and feel. <laughs> um, but the 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 idea of the self centered um, kind of spooky action at a distance idea inside of that is really meaningful to me. So I'm I'm really glad that you all brought that in um but i think these poems are really interesting to read together um and the i guess with trebek number five it's like there's sort of a skeleton of a voice that can't it's overexposed i guess that's why i say skeleton um and there's there's something kind of fearful in it or like i feel afraid but the voice itself is not that afraid and i think maybe There's so much um, the way that like fear and humanness sort of uh, intersect these two poems that also they they, they are two poems of like voices speaking past a listener in different two different ways. I think like you've kind of answered some of my next question or next thought was like, how do these poems connect um, and I was even thinking about how the mention of mothers in both of them is it's not something that we've mentioned yet in Sarah's poem, but we talked we did talk a bit about it in um in Adrian's poem, and I just wanted to like bring that back back up again. And let me just get the line here. Attic mom with canned tomatoes and a set of baby teeth. And that just I'm I'm it's weird because like I can picture it in my head. I almost feel like I know exactly what you're talking about. And my mother is one to keep baby teeth. So I just I felt a feeling the minute that baby teeth was came into the poem. And I'm like, yep, my mom is that mom. <laughs> she has the baby teeth. And what's even I'm thinking too, like this coming weekend is Mother's Day. And Moms are just everywhere. They're just all over poems. And before we started recording, Adrian and I were um, were chatting, and we're gonna be writing some sonnets together. And 
you know, Sarah, you're welcome to join in on this Google Doc. Uh, we're kind of manifesting what y'all have already done. But yeah, we're just, it's it's sonnets for May. So I wrote a mother sonnet. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Adrian says about this mother sonnet. So I have mothers on the brain for multiple reasons. But I was just really curious about the the mothers and the poems. And the mothers show up at the end of each of the poems and not, yeah, that's kind of where, where they're housed. Um, and I, it was just kind of an interesting thing to know, a curiosity. I don't know if I have any answers or other smart comments to make about it. It's just that they appear at the end of each of the poems. And I was like, hey, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I think that like, I also hear Sarah's mom in the beginning of this poem with the hello, oh. Sarah, is that you? Hi, boo-boos. And maybe it's this funny thing of, like, um, I both knowing Sarah's actual mom, but knowing the rep- Sarah's representation of her mom in voices and in twin language text, and then also the representation of a mom that floats through the poems that is of course like not an actual the actual person the mother I think Sarah what you're saying about like the the relationship of the dog to the poem also feels important to the relationship of mothers and moms and this dog who comes in and is kind of like the dog's kind of a baby dog in a mirror state watching this dog on TV. And it's just, mm-hmm. I think it seems like a, also you're watching like a little kid who like, who like sees the kid in the mirror and then thinks it's themselves. And I like see the mom looking at the daughter and also like seeing herself in the daughter too. That's, that's, you know, so I think that like there's that kind of um, both layering and distancing as well about with the role of the mother and then the baby teeth too. It's like the set of baby teeth to me is like both the, the attic mom <laughs> holding on to the daughter's baby teeth, but maybe it's her own baby teeth. And also I kind of see dentures and teeth chattering and different ways of um, bodies and language and voices all kind of separating and collapsing too. And I think that that's another place where this sort of simultaneous separation of voices and chorus of voices comes together in this poem. For me, it's like the mom, mother's and children and daughters and dogs are, are are both like really separated out and get more distance the closer they try to get. So that's another science thing too. It's like the more distant, the closer they try to get to each other, the more they are like magnets that push away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, well, before we get too carried away and we run out of time. <clears throat> wow. Um, thank you so much for bearing with me, everyone, Sarah and Adrian and listeners with my sick voice. Um, now is the time for the gluten-free segment, um, or glutton-free, as I like to call it, where we leave you with a little morsel you don't need to feel guilty about indulging in, usually a writing prompt related to the poems we've heard or the topics we have discussed. So Sarah and Adrian. What do we have for the people today? What gluten-free offering do we have in the shape of a writing prompt? Um, and we can think this through. Uh, we don't need to have any answers. This can be completely amorphous. We we can decide. We make the rules here. I have so many um, ways of trying to capture Adrian's poem in a prompt. Um, it's like <laughs> uh, you can take it from like a a form or structure standpoint, right? Like the list of questions, but also from like the content interior um, standpoint of uh, like thinking of objects or phrases or words that you feel a complicated relationship to and then building 
a poem from that or building a set of questions around that. Um, there's so many directions to go. Like it's such a good prompt poem. Uh, but I also think like you could think of a game <laughs> that, uh, and it's funny, like you just said, Dianelli, like uh, we can make the rules, like yes. some sort of game, right? Um, or that either you or a family member or like in your twin language exists, like you love to play or loved to play and write out the rules or maybe the dialogue alone or the internal voice of that game um and like think about who or what voice that is channeling um and like how that game might be played if it could be played um and i think that writing around uh that could produce a poem that doesn't necessarily sound at all like this poem but um is really interesting in the way in which they might that that poem might capture the game voice um or like the voice that is both playful and it's sort of sinister because games always have like some threat or end or loss inside of them right um and you know what voice what is a game voice i want to just offer as a prompt and again i could go on with the form of this poem so much but i want to offer as a prompt um the twin language family language but as a more specific prompt like kind of do an anthropologist on mars at your own dinner table and or you can do it at a restaurant i think it's best if you do it with people who you're really familiar with where you listen to the conversation that you've been involved in a million times and record the conversation without judgment at all just without and without actually your own kind of internal commentary on it recorded as like this is the words that are happening and then try to like kind of write it down and listen to listen back to it um outside of your own involvement in it and so i think that that's my prompt like be like in a world of people where you know more intimately than you know your own self, write down that language and listen to that. Hey, it's Dinelli from the future. Just coming on to say that I forgot to read this portion, so here I am. So listeners, if you write a poem using the prompts we've suggested, we ask that you submit it for consideration to be published in a future anthology that will showcase work inspired by this podcast. Please submit your poems to pplpsubmissions at gmail.com or submit using the form linked in the show notes on our Instagram bio at Bread and Poetry Podcast and my website, dinelliantigua.com. As a reference, you can also find a link in the show notes and on Instagram to an archive of the writing prompts on each episode so far. Now, back to the interview. Where can people find you? My website is A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-R-A-P-H-E-L.com. And yeah, Googling is probably the easiest way too, but that's my website. Sarah, where can people find you? Yeah, Google's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm still the only person with my name. Um, uh, yeah, my my handles on social media are S Deniz Akant, so S D E N I Z A K A N T. Um, that's both uh, Instagram and Twitter, and then my my website is just www.saradenizakant.com. Yeah, I'm also yeah. Adrian Rafel on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you guys love that I said the www. <laughs> it's perfect. Now I'm a mom. Oh yeah. <laughs> Who among us? <laughs> Who among us has one? Who among has us one. is one? Um that too. And even though this will come out uh after Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day to all of all of the mothers, the mothers of of anything, of humans and and furry babies and plants alike and mm, poems. Yes, yes. That's that's what I mother, that's for sure. <laughs> But thank you both so much for for talking to 
just little sick old me and uh, just bringing a lot of joy and light into my, my afternoon. Um, this was a lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you listeners for tuning in. This has been Bread and Poetry Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Bread and Poetry Podcast and Twitter at Bread Poetry Pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe to keep this thing kicking. This podcast is sponsored by the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program. Follow them on Instagram at PPLPNH. Please consider making a donation at pplp.org slash donate to help fund this volunteer-run nonprofit in its mission to further build community through poetry. Cover art for this podcast is by Najee Brown, and theme music is by Stu Diaz. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bread and Poetry coming at you because truly, who doesn't love bread? And who doesn't love poetry? Until then, my dear ones. I can, can you guys hear me at all? Adrian just got lost. Oh no. Um, but, but you can hear me, Sarah. Yeah. Okay. Weird. We can hear you too. You type so fast. You can hear me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We can hear you. Okay, that's really weird. Let me try something. I feel like this is the poem itself, kind of.